You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, we are getting back into the book of Acts. So why don't you guys turn with me to Acts 1. Uh, I'm going to be doing a whole whopping two verses this morning. Acts 1, we're speeding it up. Last week it was 1. So uh, Acts 1 verses 4 and 5. And we're going to be specifically looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as always, I'm so blessed to be with you guys and honored and humbled to be able to teach God's word this morning. And uh, today, as we continue on uh, for week three in our study of Acts, and again, as always, if you miss church and want to catch up, um, we post the podcast usually by Sunday night each week. But as we systematically are working through the text, very slowly, but we are, we're working through the book of Acts, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, sermon, the sermons each week may look a little different. You know, some weeks it'll be a pretty straightforward um, expositing of the text and seeing the direct example or lesson for us. And sometimes we'll come across something in the text where we just need to dig into the theology of that thing or that person um, a bit more. An example would be like last week, talking about the resurrection. We, t- we, we kind of dug into the... Um, validity, the evidence for it, and kind of camped out there a bit. And for the next two weeks, today and next week, we'll be digging into the Holy Spirit. And the reason being, uh, it is the main theme of our text, if not the whole book of Acts. If you were to sum up the book of Acts, you could say it would be the witness of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early church. And also the Holy Spirit can be one of the most confusing Uh, and maybe least known persons of the Trinity, Uh, and it's really, really crucial and important that we have a a good grasp and understanding of him. And so a precursor before reading uh, our text and praying is that today's and next week's sermon is by no means like an exhaustive, systematic study of the Holy Spirit, that (laughs) not even close, like just bits and pieces. You know, like the iceberg analogy where you can see the tip of the iceberg. It's like a million times that. We're just going to dig in and, and talk about a few important things. Um, but what we'll see is uh, there's, there's infinite to know about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God, a third person of the Trinity. Um, so I want to make sure you know that I'm going to leave out a lot right now. If you're like, I can't believe he talked about the Holy Spirit and he left out that. You're like, yeah, we have like 30 minutes right now. Um, can't talk about God in 30 minutes. But my hopes for today are to address and study a few things about the Holy Spirit. Just a couple, again, not exhaustive, but number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Also, what is the role of the Holy Spirit and how do we walk by and live uh, in the Spirit? Uh, This week, We'll talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit, and next week we're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and how he empowers the believer in our lives and for mission. So uh, if you've already opened up, you can op- um, if you haven't already, open up to Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, and for context's sake, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And as always, if you need a Bible, uh, there's tables in the back. You can always grab one and take it uh, if you don't have one. 
You can take it home with you. It's our gift to you. But love for you guys to get in the habit of reading the Bible for yourself, uh, exercising that muscle. But as always, I have it up on the screen um, if you don't have it in front of you. But let's read the text and pray. Acts 1, 1 through 5 says, In my former book, Theophilus, it's Luke speaking, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that instructs us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for yourself. We thank you that you fill us up to be our helper and our advocate and our counselor and our teacher, the one that comes alongside us and leads us into righteousness. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we dig into your word, we ask that you'd illuminate uh, who the Holy Spirit is to us, the role of the Holy Spirit, and how we might walk in a greater capacity in the Spirit. Would you do that, Lord, and bless our time? In Jesus' name, amen. So what's happening here is that Luke, right, our author of Acts, he's continuing on in his account of this 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And last week, we looked at a handful of these interactions that Jesus had with his followers and the crowds and his disciples. And it says here that on one of those occasions, on one of those interactions that Jesus had with his followers in his resurrected body while he was eating with his disciples, he commanded them, this is a strong exhortation, not a suggestion, not a want, not a desire. This is a command. He's eaten a meal in his resurrected body, and he says, don't do anything until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you remember, the tides have changed during these 40 days. So to back up for a second, like the cross happens, Jesus dies, and what do his followers do? They despair, they scatter, they think it's over. Like, I thought this was going to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Now he's dead on a cross and we just buried him in a tomb. But what happens is, is that Jesus' resurrection uh, happens and he's now meeting with all of them. And their hope is now brought back. They're bestowed hope and strength and courage and passion like they've never had. Right? All their doubts have been done away with. Jesus died, but he defeated death. He is who he said he was, and his resurrection proves everything. And so these guys are fired up. Like, they're ready to go. But Jesus knows that without him, after he ascends to heaven, which is like about to happen in our text, I think it's next week or the following week, 
Jesus knows that without him, these ordinary men and women, just like you and I, flawed, struggling with sin, normal, will break and will end up in the same place they did unless they have the gift and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells them, don't get ahead of yourself. Slow down. Don't trust in your own abilities. Don't trust in your passion. Actually, don't even go anywhere. Don't even go outside of Jerusalem. Don't even leave the city limits until you receive the gift my father promised. So what is this gift that Jesus speaks about? What is the gift the Father, that Father God has promised? What is the gift that is so essential to the follower of Jesus that they can't function and follow God without it? This is exactly what he's talking about, and this applies very much to you and I. So first, who is the Holy Spirit? For some of us, the Holy Spirit is very familiar. We have a good understanding, a good grasp on him. For many, it can be strange and foreign and hard to understand this idea. First off, the Holy Spirit is not a thing or a what. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's rather a who. It's not this inadequate object or some kind of ghost or some kind of presence. It's God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Not a what, but a who. By definition's sake, if you're taking notes or just want to see it, uh, the Holy Spirit is. This is what the Holy Spirit is. The third person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and is Almighty God. The Holy Spirit is understood to be one of the three persons of the Trinity. As such, he is personal and also fully God, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and Jesus the Son. It can also be said this way. The triune God, right, the Trinity, three in one, the triune God is manifested as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one divine being called the Godhead. The divine essence of God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not names for different parts of God, but one name for God because three persons exist in God as one Trinity. Got it? It's like a crash course to the Trinity. One of the most complicated, maybe hard to understand or even debated topics is the Trinity. Um, but we would call ourselves, uh, our church, um, our faith, Many other evangelical churches as well, but, but some don't, and that's where it gets tricky. But we would call ourselves Trinitarians. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. And to simplify it, the Trinity is just three distinct persons, but all one essence. Okay? So for Jesus' fo followers at the time of Acts, when, when Jesus is saying, hey, don't move a muscle, don't get ahead of yourself until you receive the person of the Holy Spirit, up to that point, like they've got some glimpses of the Spirit. Jesus has talked about it, but they have not known him in a personal way. Like they, they've, they've seen it a little bit. So for example, uh, John the Baptist prior to the baptism of Jesus, right? He's baptizing the crowds in the Jordan River. And it says this in Matthew 3, John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than me, speaking of Jesus, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And then, just a few verses later in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized and the Spirit of God descends as he comes out of the water. Let me read that. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw who? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove uh, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, whom I am well pleased. Just a few examples. But for the disciples, for the followers of Jesus, in the moment they're hearing this in Acts chapter 1 in our text, they themselves have not been baptized with the Spirit yet. They don't have the Spirit living inside of them. Um, they're not operating, operating out of the power of the Spirit. Pentecost, right, just two chapters, like about a month or so away for us. Um, but days from this conversation that's happening here in verse 4 and 5, the Holy Spirit, right, the third person of the Trinity, when they're in the upper room on Pentecost praying, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church for the first time and fills the believers. Prior to this, it's, 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 it's not been a thing. But what scripture tells us is that post-Pentecost, so every moment after Pentecost, we're in that moment, we're 2,000 years past that moment, when someone surrenders, any person surrenders and trusts in and believes in Jesus, right, as their Lord and Savior, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's a thing. Now that happens every time. So Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says that. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Again, this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, but speaking to believers. Uh, he says, when you believed in Christ, he identified with you as, uh, as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So literally, the presence of God now dwells within us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God. So Paul, the Apostle Paul in another letter, would describe this or us, believers, now as the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is so radical, which I'll talk about in a second. But in his letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, this is Paul speaking, he says this, don't you realize that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? See that given, that gift the Holy Spirit's a gift given by God, now it lives in us. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, his son, on the cross. So you must honor God with your body. Okay, so I want to transport you back to 2,000 years ago, um, and you're Jewish, living in Israel, and in your story is the story of what we just studied, the story of Exodus. And if you remember that, the only place where the presence of God ever dwelled prior to this was the tabernacle or the temple. And there was only one man once a year, the high priest, that could even get near to the presence of God because it was so majestic and glorious and sinless. 
So you have to understand that this is insane what Jesus is saying to these guys. Guys, don't go anywhere. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the presence of God is going to come dwell in you forever, every day of your life, all the time. (laughs) They'd be like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. But this is true for you and I. Because of the cross and the resurrection, those of us who trust in the Lord now have access to God through the Spirit, which now dwells in us. And the longer you're a believer, the more you should trip out on that. It just should come in time. If this is not like, if you don't think that's crazy, it should come. That's why I'm reminded when when King David, right, in Psalm 139, uh, he sung of, of never being able to escape God's majestic and wonderful presence of God. Uh, It reminds me of what we have in Christ with the Holy Spirit. Um, Now you and I too have this this shared same experience that the presence of God is in us. David said this, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Side note, if you're ever like feeling lonely, no one's there with you. God, where's God? Read Psalm 139. It's got me through a lot of dark nights. Psalm 139. Just read the Psalms in general before you go to bed. That's a good idea for everybody. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. I can never escape from your spirit. This is King David speaking. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, that's us, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. This is now true for us as well due to the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Before I get too excited, let's move on to the second question. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? We just learned so briefly who he is, um, but what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is God, right? So in essence, he can do anything, and he's capable of anything, just like God the Father and Jesus the Son. But if you were to, for the time's sake, overly simplify and categorize what we see in God's word as the Holy Spirit's role, oversimplified, it would be this. Three points. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Father, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer, and the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. Uh, This week, we're going to cover those two, and then the third one, we're going to cover next week. You with me? Okay. Number one, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Father. The Spirit's intention, desire, goal in the life of the believer is to glorify God in all areas and at all times. Okay, so our flesh, our sinful nature literally wants the opposite. It doesn't want to glorify God and it doesn't want to exalt God. Rather, our flesh, what we want to do, we want to exalt self. We want to glorify ourself. By nature, we're in rebellion to God, and um, we want to do the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. In another letter, Paul wrote a lot of letters, but in his letter to the church in Galatia, the book of Galatians, right? Galatians 5, 16 through 17, Paul again describes this. He, He talks about this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. 
They are in conflict with each other so that you are, that you are not to do whatever you want. Another, so, so, so that's, that's what's happening. The Spirit of God wants to glorify God, but we're, we're still living in this fallen world and this sinful body, and it's, it's, it's a tension going on. But another way that the Spirit glorifies the Father is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and unrighteousness. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples uh, a little bit prior in John 16, about the very thing that's happening here in Acts 1, tells us this. John 16, 5 through 8. But now, Jesus is speaking, I'm going away to the one who sent me. I'm going to ascend to heaven. That's what he's saying. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best to go for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, i.e. Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of, of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So the Spirit of God, in the love of God, confronts and convicts sin in our lives. That's why after we're saved, we may be thinking or doing something that we shouldn't, that's sinful, right? And all of a sudden, we may feel convicted or we become aware that we're rebelling or sinning against God, but no one tells us. Like no one calls us out or we don't read something. It happens like that sometimes. But the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is when that you're rebelling, you have a sinful thought or a sinful action, and all of a sudden, you feel convicted that you're not doing the right thing. You're not honoring God with your life. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit lovingly correcting us and aligning our desires and turning them to God to give God glory. And so again, that's part of the Holy Spirit its role to glorify God in one way is to convict us of sin, right? Also, you guys with me? There's a lot here. It's like we're in the trenches, theological trenches a bit, but just take notes, or I'll give you my notes if you want them. Um, moving on, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer. Sanctifies the believer. So as one commentator said, Christianity is not merely an array of glorious ideas. Rather, it is the life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Sanctification is just a fancy word that simply means becoming like Jesus. So, over the course of our lives, after we've given our life to Christ, after we're saved, whatever you want to call it, we are constantly supposed to be growing. And our lives are supposed to look more like Jesus' life as time goes on. If you guys don't know what Christian means, it means little Christ. We're identifying ourselves as, as, as people's lives that look like Christ's life, if you call yourself a Christian. And so our, over time, our thoughts and our speech and our priorities and our desires and our actions are, to be, are supposed to change over time so that they glorify God rather than glorify yourself. Makes sense. And one of the Holy Spirit's primary activities is to cleanse us from sin 
and to sanctify us, to make us more holy in actual conduct of life. And so our sanctification is done by the work of the Spirit in our lives. So how do we sin less? How do we glorify God more? It's by the Holy Spirit in us actually changing us from the inside out. It's not trying harder or just like, I go to church now and I'm a Christian, so I should be better. It's like, that's true, but that's so not how you do it, right? We can't will this to happen. We can't think it to happen, but rather we need to be in prayer and be willing for, for, to, uh, to allow God to change us. If you don't see growth in your life, it's not God's, it's not God's issue. It's a recipient issue. And that goes for me too. I'm not just pointing it out. You want to grow more. You want to sin less. We have to be open and willing for God to point out things. Where we're still living for ourselves and selfish and living for the world. And when there's, there's things that aren't glorifying him, he's going to point them out. In his loving kindness, he's going to point them out so that more of our life glorifies him. And my prayer for myself and for us is actually what David ends Psalm 139 with. It's this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If you know David, David was a man after God's own heart, but he also like committed a horrible act of adultery and murder. And so this is speaking from um, not a life that's perfect by any means, but actually a life that's it's very flawed. And um, he's coming from a place that, God, I know you're with me always. I want to open myself up for correction and for your leading because I know that I'm prone to wander and I need you to lead me. And so lead me. This is what he's doing here. I think we could take a lot from the life of David, but that's a whole other sermon series. And so... Lastly, the Holy Spirit empowers the believer, but I'm going to leave that for next week in part two of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to, I'm going to end briefly with this. I know I'm like just trucking through theology, but here we go. How do we walk by and live in the Spirit? This is kind of more of an application here. It's, it's so important that we do that because this is where the book of Acts is all going anyway. Right, the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer. It's the whole theme of Acts, and it should be the whole theme of our life, honestly, is the Holy Spirit's role in our life. Church, I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. I don't know you well, but I know some about your life. And you guys are a pretty, a pretty incredible group of human beings. And I mean this. Uh, there's a ridiculous number of you that have your master's or doctorate or upper, upper education. Like for, for the amount of people in this room, there's a ridiculous number. And there's so many of you that are like really successful and really good at what you do. In this room or in our church, some of the best athletes, some of the best musicians, entrepreneurs that I know. And if I didn't know it, Hawaii has said you're the best, Hollywood has said you're the best, and even Apple has said some of your products are the best. In this room, small room. There's CEOs, you own your own company, your managers, bosses, all in this little room. And as awesome as that is, praise God, because it's all his doing, sorry it's not you, he gave you everything anyway. 
But what that means is that we are much more prone to not be desperate for God's spirit because we're just really good at stuff. So actually what you're good at is actually like, be careful, watch out. You're so good at stuff that we're prone to not be desperate for God's spirit because right, God's gifted us or God's gifted you and maybe you're really good at stuff, but you can't forget where all of that came from. You can't let that go to your head and let that translate to our spiritual lives because here's the truth. And if you're like really good at stuff, this is what, how it can be hard. We're not meant to run our own lives. You're not meant to be the CEO of your life, manage it, start it, keep it going. It's not your role. It's not my role. It's not our job. We're meant to actually surrender and follow and actually to be desperate in a position of dependency, actually dying to our flesh and led by God's spirit. Completely maybe different posture with maybe what makes you good or successful in the world. Not always, but hopefully like you're desperate for God's spirit in your job, hopefully, um, or you should be. My point is here is that coming back to where we started in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world in Jerusalem, Jesus told his followers, don't do anything or go anywhere until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, brothers and sisters, friends, what's happening in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 is a call for dependency. To depend upon the spirit of God's work in our lives. Our lives are to be lived in a manner that cries out each morning, God, I can't do anything apart from you. I need you. I'm desperate. Here I am. Use me. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. And how that starts is coming to this very conclusion and surrendering and allowing God's spirit to move in our life and saying, God, yeah, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to grow. I want to glorify you with my whole life. So church, next week we'll talk about it more, but the book of Acts is going to be this. And if there's a thing that I believe that God wants to do in us this year as a church is to maybe give us a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, but also he wants us to live life led by the Spirit that much more. He wants the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church and in our community. Um, less of us and more of him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it leads and it guides us. Thank you that it is living water. Thank you that it shows us where we're to go. It reveals who you are and how we're to live in light of it. And God, I pray that all these truths of who the Holy Spirit is would sink in, that you would continue to help them resonate and give us understanding and specifically, God, give us application. What does that mean for me to be desperate for the Holy Spirit tomorrow? How does it look to not live my life just by pulling my bootstraps up and trying harder and just being a survivor and going for it and trying my hardest? But God, how do, how do we rather say, God, I can't do anything apart from you? 
I need you. Help us to have the, the dependency that you told your disciples to have. Don't go anywhere without the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to live in that same way. And as we spend time worshiping you now, we want to worship you for who you are and what you've done because you're worthy to be praised. So Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us in these uh, few songs of worship as we end our time together? We ask that you'd minister, that you would, you would convict, that you would correct, that you would comfort, that you would help, that you would speak to us. We thank you that the Father has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. 